Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here today. I want to start with a little bit of a renovation update. So uh, in the coming weeks, things are going to begin to shift a little bit, especially on August the 9th, as you've heard. Uh, Promotion Sunday is on that day, which means many of your kids are going to be going into a different area. And uh, all of them will be moving out of the area that's going to be renovated. And so that'll happen after the 9th. And so you'll begin to see things change after that. The, the, the entryway that's right here in the breezeway will be shut down uh, for a season. And so you'll be able to enter through the front doors and the, and the back doors, which you usually can't uh, and haven't been able to do that. You'll begin to be able to do that after the 9th. And so we're just super excited about how, yeah, a little bit of inconvenience, but what God is, is actually going to do uh, through this space. And I wanna just wanna encourage you to Pray for the construction workers that they uh, are safe. Pray that uh, we get this thing done on time. Our prayer is that it would be finished uh, in January. So after the holidays, coming back into uh, the new semester, that the first floor at least will be open uh, for our kids. And man, pray that God uses this for his glory. And I, I just know that he's going to. I mean, uh, when you think about this, uh, we're, we're doing this for people who aren't here yet. And we're doing this uh, so that when that young family who's kind of stumbling through life, they don't know the Lord, they, they come to this facility because they heard it's awesome and they walk in and they discover who Jesus is and, and uh, that you know, young father is transformed and now uh, knows how to become and is learning how to become a, a follower of Jesus, a spiritual leader in his home. And young mother who is struggling now finds uh, the heart of Jesus and it transforms her life. And, and of course, those young kids who find Jesus. Uh, and, and so it's all of a result of, of your giving and your ministry and your prayer. And so every single one of us are a vital part of this. And I'm just so excited. This is generational change. Uh, you gotta remember we're 12 years old as a church. So you are a part of the builder generation of Foothills Church. We're constantly building uh, a framework here. We're, we're, we're building a foundation that we believe is gonna last uh, for uh, ever until Jesus returns, right? And so, man, I'm just so excited. And I, I hope that you guys will join us in uh, prayer as we start this awesome, awesome season. Uh, today, we're gonna start a new series called The Art of Friendship. And one of the many uh, negative results of COVID-19 is uh, I read this past week uh, that the CDC announced that more youth are dying of suicide and overdose right now than they are of the virus. In fact, the report also said that the pandemic has spiked uh, prescription drugs for depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Uh, you know, I think it's obvious that the virus has caused a lot of fear and because of quarantine, it's created a lot of isolation. And so we've been isolated from healthy relationships. And anytime you are isolated from healthy relationships or you don't have healthy relationships in your life, it will impact your mental health. And so it's one of the reasons why I believe the most impacted uh, uh, group of people from this virus our kids, our students. And so I think it's important that they go back to school and, and they play sports and they go back to college and, and they get their life back. Obviously, be, be safe, wear a mask if you want to kind of thing. But, but we, we have to get our, our young generation connected in healthy relationships uh, again. And I think it's true for us as adults as well. Like COVID-19 has affected our friendships more than we actually realize 
Um, yeah, the, the, the quarantine has kept us away from being in friendships and going over to people's houses and, and them coming over to our house or, or just simply going out to eat together and, and spending that time uh, with our friends. Uh, not to mention the, the division that our country is kind of facing right now. And so you probably have a lot of friends that maybe have a different political view from you. And so that actually uh, strains your relationship uh, with your friends as well. And so we're, we're dealing with a lot in our culture as it relates to friendships right now. And not to mention uh, every culture in the world kind of sees friendship as a backseat issue. Um, especially in America, because in America, we live in a very individualistic uh, culture where people want to stand out, uh, want to, you know, want to feel like they've done something on their own and, and want to like show their, you know, individuality, right? We, we, we tend to see friendships uh, not as an essential part of life. Uh, we don't have to have a friendship in order to actually survive, and so we, we just kind of put friendships on the back burner. If we get them, great. If we don't get them, uh, not a big deal. Uh, now, in our country, we, we do feel pressure to be in some relationships. So there's a pressure for romantic relationships to develop. Uh, so, you know, there, there's that pressure to fall in love and to have, you know, a, a, a husband or wife potentially. You know, if you want to have kids, you know, you're, you're going to have to find a partner, right? And so there's that kind of motivation and pressure to be in that kind of relationship. Uh, there's also the pressure uh, to be in friendships at work. Because we know if you wanna be successful in your business, you've gotta be good at you know, networking with, with friends. And so you've gotta be social and, and, and build those relationships. So the motivation there is to be successful. But when it's just friendship for friendship's sake, we often view that as a non-essential in life. We view that as uh, something that we don't have to have. And we kind of view it as a luxury that, hey, when, it, you know, some people get lucky and they have friends and maybe I, I have been lucky and I've got some friends or, or I just haven't been lucky. And so I don't have uh, good friends. There's people that I would call uh, good friends. But the reality is when you read the Bible, you understand that, that God's word teaches us that if you wanna be successful in life, not just in business or not just in marriage, if you wanna be successful as a follower of Christ, then you have to have good friendships around you. In fact, Proverbs says that fools perish because of a lack of friends because they choose the wrong friends. And so that's really kind of the tension that we feel when it comes to friendships, all right? And I feel like C.S. Lewis really encapsulates the tension in a book that he wrote called The Four Loves. And I'm gonna quote him several times today. It's all from that same book if you actually wanna read it. But in it, he states this, few value friendships because few experience it. Now that's kind of a reality that might hit us right between the eyes today. Because the reality for us as friends is like, all right, you know, we, we aren't against having friends, but it's almost like we're kind of indifferent when it comes to friends. You know, we'll take them uh, or we'll leave them. It'd be great to have them. I just don't have time to develop them. And so if I get a good friend, great, but it's not going to keep me from doing, you know, my life, right? And so we become indifferent because we haven't actually experienced a good friendship. 
Now, if you have experienced a good friendship, you know how, in fact, valuable it actually is and how life-giving it can be in, 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 into your life. Um, so we think friendships might just happen, you know, for some people. It's kind of a fluke and, and it just hasn't happened for us. But, but here's what I've found. I found that wise people uh, actually put themselves in the right places for friendships to actually develop. And they actually commit themselves to seeing that those relationships flourish and grow. So it's not just by accident that people have good friendships. It's not just by, you know, uh, you know a certain blessing or, or they live next to each other or their family or whatever. No, in order to have a good friend, you actually have to put yourself in the right environments to actually you know, find friends. And then you have to have a commitment to actually see those friends grow and flourish. So today I wanna, and, and for the next two weeks, we're gonna flesh out a lot of issues concerning friendship. Today I wanna answer two questions. I wanna talk about why do we need friends and how to make the right kind of friends, okay? So if you're taking notes, let's write this down. How or why do we need friends? Why do you need a friend? Why do I need a friend? Uh, and I think it starts in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning of creation. God's plan for your life is that you would be involved and have friends. In fact, he creates Adam, and you remember what he says after he creates Adam. He says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he is essentially telling all of us right there in the very beginning of the Bible that we are wired for friendship. Every single one of us, we are wired for friendship. Now, yes, God is answering this problem for Adam by giving him a wife, Eve, yes. But it can also be generally applied to the reality that you and I were created as social beings. You and I need relationships to flourish. We need friends. Living in isolation or just being a surface level person with other people, it's not a strength, it's actually a result of pride in your life. And so we've got to understand that when God says we need other people, we need to actually agree and we actually have to pursue healthy relationships. So it is good and right to embrace friends and pursue friends and learn to be a good friend. So we also see in the Bible that we are told to do life in community. So every single person in here that uh, believes in Jesus, you're a Christian, if you're watching from home today, you call yourself a Christian, we are told, we're commanded in the Bible to live life in community. Now, one of the Super Bowl texts on community in the Bible is Acts chapter two. It shows us really the picture of what a church is supposed to do, how they're supposed to live, and what in fact, we're, we're here every single week and committed to do every single week as a, a, a church. And so let's read it together. Acts 2.42, it says, <clears throat> they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So fellowship, they were devoted to hanging out and being close and developing the relationship and developing friendships. They were committed to it. They, they, they desired it and they worked at fellowship. And it wasn't just hanging out, but that purpose and reason, which we'll see later what that was. So fellowship to breaking bread into prayer. They pray together. They ate together. These are all good things. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. So again, they were together. 
We live in a culture that will, you know, isolate us, especially right now, quarantine, stay at home. I didn't work and stay busy with work. And as soon as you're done with work, pull into your garage. You don't even have to see your neighbors and then go and watch Netflix till you get tired, go to sleep, wake up, go do the same thing over again. So we can, we can live and not be together with really anyone and all had everything in common. I mean, in order to be friends, in order to be in a community together, we've got to have things in common. If we don't have anything in common, well, we're not going to be friends. And we'll see that today. Like it just doesn't happen. And so we have a common love for God. We have a common purpose in life. And so that draws us together in community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So to their friends, they're selling, I'm going to, it'd be like us. I'm going to sell my really nice car so that I can help this person fix their air conditioning. That's the kind of mentality that these friends had in the early church. He continues, every day they continued to meet together. So every day they were getting together. Now, maybe not practical in our world today, but the idea of getting together could happen with phone calls and text messages and, and uh, you know, breakfast meetings and lunch meetings. And, and we can stay in contact so much easier now because of our devices. <clears throat> they broke bread in their homes. So they had their friends over to their house and they went over to their house. Like they, they opened up the doors of, of, of their home and invited them in to really live life together. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Now, what does that tell us about friendships? Um, like, first of all, they're doing evangelism. So every person is tell, telling others about Jesus. And as a result of that, people are, are added to the community of believers. But it's also telling you that as friends, they are actually saying, come on in. We, we welcome you into our friendship, our community. You belong here. It's not a mentality of us four and no more. Like I've got my friends, you stay out of here. You know, it's not like that jealous friend that you had that, oh, she's my friend. I don't want you to have any other friend. No, no, no. That's, that's selfishness. That's silliness. Like real friends don't try to, try to protect uh, your friend from other friends. They, they're glad to see the Lord add to their number daily, right? And so when you come to know Jesus, that's an individual decision that you have to decide. Um, that is an individual thing that you have to, you have to look at Jesus and you have, to, you have to decide who he is to you. Like, is he the king of kings? Did he die on the cross for your sins? Are you gonna commit your life to him or are you not? The fact that your grandmother was a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. The fact that you live in the South and you hear about God and you know who Jesus is does not make you a Christian. You have to make the individual decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So if you're taking notes, Faith is individual, but faith is lived out in community. So I make an individual decision. God calls me. He allows me to make that decision. Yes. So my faith is individual, but to live that faith out, you have to live it out in community. Just read the Bible. You can hardly do anything alone other than prayer and we're told to even do that with believers, but, but, but I guess you can read the Bible and pray on your own. But outside of that, you can't do anything that Jesus commands you to do unless you're connected and doing it through community. That's why we have a church. <laughs> That's why we have small group. In fact, 
When Jesus looks at Peter that day and he says, Peter, uh, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. How did Jesus actually do it? How did he build his church through the life of Peter? Well, he did it through relationships. He did it through small groups. So Peter in the 12, uh, well, 11, because Judas didn't work out, but here, <laughs> so he's, he's, uh, he's pouring into them, Jesus leaves, and now Peter's kind of the guy that kind of leads the disciples, right? He's the leader of leaders amongst these guys. And so he continues to develop them. And, and then Saul becomes Paul, he gets saved. And then the, the, the small groups that are developing, living together, Acts 2.42, they're growing. God is adding to their number daily. They're growing in size, right? They're in each other's homes. And all of a sudden, oh, you don't fit in my home anymore. You guys go meet, 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 at, meet, at, meet at this guy's home. Go, go meet at Bartholomew's home and you go meet at Peter's home. And, and so now they're, they're expanding, right? So they're in small groups. And, and, and they're gathering in large groups. Peter will, Peter will preach in front of hundreds and thousands get saved. So there's, there's the aspect of what we're doing today where we gather in a large group, we're preaching the gospel, people get saved, people get encouraged, instructed by the teaching of God's word. And then throughout the week, then we, we, we meet in small groups and that's what they did. And the church in the large group sent out from Antioch uh, missionaries like Saul and Timothy and Barnabas and these guys. And they went into communities they'd never been in before where the gospel had not been preached. And, and they, they started developing relationships with people and friends. And they started talking about Jesus with two or three people. And, and then all of a sudden they had a small group. And now that small group, God adds to that. And now they establish a church and now they put structure to it. Now there's elders and now there's, there's ministry that happens. And, and, and then they move on and they keep starting. But, but out of that church that has started, there's large group and then there's small group. This is what church is. Like small group is, is not a program. It's not a program or, and it's not like, let's start a new ministry. In order to have a church, you, if you wanna do it biblically, you, you need to have a system of small groups in your, in your church. And I would say, follow the Bible, invite people into your homes so that you don't have to spend tons of money on, on little tiny rooms and, and get here you know, early on Sunday morning where, where everybody's tired and, 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 and you stand up and somebody lectures to you. No, you're already getting a lecture. This is the lecture right here. Right? So then take what you're learning here and then go into somebody's home and eat and fellowship and have things in common that you enjoy together and you talk about scripture. And it's in that environment where that growth continues to move forward. So small groups aren't like a programmed thing, like I would say a traditional Sunday school model or a traditional like men's ministry. And, and, and it's not something that is, is a good idea. It's something that is essential to the church of Jesus Christ, but secondly, to the believers that seek to grow. So why don't more churches do them that way? And, and I would just say, well, one is churches get kind of locked into tradition and it's hard to change. And then secondly, um, we, we begin to start all of these side ministries that begin to distract from what I would call the lifeblood ministry, which is small groups. So think about it. Maybe you've, maybe you've been there. You've heard about a situation like this. Maybe it's a Sunday school class or it might be a small group, but it's not done really well because the people that gather, number one, they're not real committed to it. So they kind of come when they can and when they can't come. And so it's kind of in and out. 
Uh, when you're doing a study, like the people, everybody in the study is not committed to actually do the study. And so some people did, some people didn't. Um, you gather and some people just want to stay on surface level and they don't like want to be real and authentic. And so you got that issue and, and you got a hundred other kinds of issues that would arise in a small group that would, it, it, it would make it feel like you're not growing. And it would make it feel like, man, this just isn't what Trent talks about. And it's not what I see in the Bible. And it's just not like happening. So out of that scenario, whether it's Sunday school or, or a small group or anything, needs arise in your heart if you're the kind of person that wants to grow. And so that need of, I'm not getting in this morning, so I need, so what do I do? I, I feel like I can answer that by starting a side ministry. And so let's start a men's ministry or let's start this kind of ministry because then we can grow and then we can connect. And, and the reason why we don't do side ministries like that is, is, is essentially because if we did, then all of a sudden, you know, you're doing church on Sunday and then you're doing small group on this night. And then you're doing side ministry on this night and then there's student ministry. And then there's this ministry over here. And the next thing you know, you're married and you haven't seen your husband all week because you're going to all these different places and uh, you haven't seen your kids. And so this is why we are adamant about like what we do Sunday morning, student ministry, engagement into the community through small groups. Why? Because Jesus did it that way. And we see that all throughout the New Testament, that that's how disciples are developed and made and sent out to make new disciples. In fact, the reason, and another reason is when you do small groups right, number one, you don't have time to do anything else. If you do them right, you don't have time for, uh, outside stuff because you're doing ministry through that. You're doing men's and women's ministry out of that group because, you know, men will gather, women will gather. They'll, they'll split up and they'll do different studies and they'll, you know, have some time to kind of develop those friendships. But out of that small group is where it happens. So all of those needs are met in a small group. So I would say if these side things happen or want to happen and we're not getting it, it's because we're simply not doing small groups the right way. Now, listen, no, no small group is perfect and no small group leader is perfect. And it takes time and it takes practice and it takes commitment. And so all of our small groups are growing in that grace and, and trying to lean into that more. But I wanted to start by saying, yes, in fact, we develop friends and, and, and we desire that community because God created us that way. And in order for us to be followers of Jesus and actually follow him, we need to be in relationships. So, sorry, my voice is, is heading out. It's gonna stay with me. It's not Corona, okay? <laughs> it's a head cold. It still happens. All right, here we go. So how do we make the right kind of friends? That, that's really where we're at. We, we know God has created us this way. So how do we make the right kind of friends? So we're gonna look at several verses in the book of Proverbs. So if you have the app, you can follow along or you can kind of look up here. Either way, but here we go. Here's what Proverbs 12 says. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So if you're taking notes, to choose the right friends, you've gotta choose friends carefully. Choose them carefully. Now, everybody thinks friendships are easy. Essentially, not easy to develop, but we think the concept of having friends, is like, oh yeah, we know how to be a friend, right? Um, even kids know how to be friends. In fact, 
Kids probably, uh, you could argue, uh, are, are better at being friends than adults are. Uh, just think about uh, when, when you're a kid, you don't really choose your friends carefully. It's like you're in the front yard playing and the neighbor you know, comes outside who you may, not, may know or may not know and he steps outside and says, you wanna play? And you're like, yeah. Boom, friends right there, it's that easy. I mean, that, when you're a kid, it, it, it's super simple and you just kind of play with whoever wants to you know, hang out. Uh, but it begins to get a little bit more complicated at some point, usually around middle school, right? That's when it kind of gets complicated in middle school, sin kind of creeps into relationships and now all of a sudden there's insecurities and there's pride and there's envy and there's jealousy and, and there's cattiness and there's all this kind of stuff you know, that starts to happen and it complicates our friendships and that starts in middle school, but it lasts the rest of our life. And so, uh, so often that tends to happen in our life and then you know, because of the comp complications, then we, we tend to struggle with friendships and we start to hear people say things like, I want friends, I just can't find friends. And then they get motivated from a sermon series like this and everybody's like, oh, I'm going to go get a friend. That's what I need, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a friend. And if I had a friend, man, life would be better and life would be more. I agree with what he's saying. And I, you know, here's where C.S. Lewis punches us in the face again. I love this quote. He says, this is why those pathetic people <laughs> who simply want friends can never make any. The condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. See, his point here is if you're the kind of person who is like, I gotta go get a friend and I'm gonna make this friend, you come across kind of so overbearing, all you want is a friend, you're never actually going to make a friend because that's not how friendships work. You can't just call people, hey, would you like to be my friend? Text them or DM them on Instagram. Hey, blah, blah. Like, oh, I don't know. That's not how friendships work. That's why it's been awkward for you. What C.S. Lewis is pointing out is, is, is something so critical to the, the idea of friendships that we cannot leave here without it. What he's saying in, in, in the book later is that friendships arise out of common loves. You have something in common that you both love. And it's out of that that a friendship occurs. So it's an acquaintance or just a companion. Maybe you know his name, you kind of know who they are, you talk, you, you don't really hang out, you don't know their family, you don't know much about them, but you're just kind of talking, right? And it's out of that conversation that boom, you discover that you have a common love. And when you discover that common love, you're, you're passionate or you love something that is similar, boom, that friendship can then grow. So it's like the guy who's just talking and it's maybe just a companion and or, or, or an acquaintance or like, yeah, they're just talking and blah, blah, blah. And then the guy makes a statement, right? That changes everything. And he's like, well, I mean, in my opinion, I think bird watching is the most incredible experience in life. And person two goes, are you kidding me? I too love watching birds. <laughs> you gotta be joking. I thought I was the only one. No, no, I, I, I love watching birds too. Huh, do we just become best friends? Yeah, right? And then boom, it's all of a sudden, it's like a friendship has just blossomed, right? And so it's out of a common love 
that a friendship can develop. So the people in your life who you've been forcing the issue, like trying to get to know this person or trying to make this happen, and there's just no common love or common thing that kind of draws you together, that's why it's not working. In order to be friends, there's gotta be that common love. Uh, Lewis continues with this statement. He says, friendships must be about something, even if it were only enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. (laughs) Those who have nothing can share nothing. And those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So that's the issue maybe for some of us. Like we're just focused on having a friend and we're not focused on living our life and just allowing that common love to come to the surface that then draws us into a friendship, right? And, and, and so uh, I, a friendship has to be about something. And so if you're just wanting a friend because you have needs, right? And you just need somebody to, 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 to minister to you or to just to, you know, encourage you. I need, I need encouragement. I just need a friend. You know? That's selfish motivation. Nobody wants to be a friend with you, right? And, 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 and sure, when your friends care and concern, we'll talk about this later, is going to happen. But if, if that's kind of the driving force, uh, that, that's kind of like a stiff arm. People don't Uh, They're not attracted uh, to that. Actually, that develops unhealthy relationships when you think about it. If I'm a needy person and emotionally needy and and, and, and I run to this friend to get answers all the time, right? Uh, I don't run to Jesus, I run to this friend, right? That's me treating them as a functional savior. And that's not me growing in my relationship. That's me just kind of leaning into this person that I feel like I need. And, 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 and this person might be happy to give you that instruction. They might be happy to, to do that because their issue is that they have a need to be the hero. And if you have a need to be a hero, you're, you'll welcome the leeches in your life because it makes you feel special. And, 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 your, and your issue is that you, you've got to have that feeling so that you feel good about yourself. And so you're basically using each other Um, And that's very unhealthy. And so a friendship has to be about something. Uh, That's why uh, if you've ever tried to force that friendship in your life and it just hasn't happened, it's probably because there's not that commonality. Now, think about this. Um, In small group, you have that common love, right? You should, right? There's the common love. The common love is what? Two things. The first thing that is common is a love for Jesus. And the second common thing is that I wanna grow closer to him. So then if you are entering small groups for friends, you are entering it with the wrong motivation. You go to small group because you love Jesus and you want to grow. And then out of that group, maybe some friendships go to a deeper level out of those common you know, loves that you might find with the people in your group. But the whole mess of small groups sometimes happens when people show up because they want friends. Like that's not the point and that's not how you're even gonna make friends. There's gotta be that common love. Think about it uh, if you're married today. So if you're married today um, and, and, and when you first started dating uh, your spouse, you know, maybe your wife, she loved holding hands and taking long walks on the beach and having, you know, great conversation. And as a dude, like you just lied and said, you like that too. <laughs> no, no, as a guy, you didn't care what you did as long as you were with her, right? So the commonality or the common loves that you share with that person is that you were attracted to them physically. Um, and well, that was pretty much it for the guy, but for the girl, 
he enjoyed the conversation or she enjoyed the conversation or maybe you guys went hiking together or maybe you guys you know, bonded over watching movies or Netflix or whatever it was, there, were, there was a common love there. But what happens over time in your marriage, think about it, it's not that you fall out of love. You just start loving different things. And when you don't love the same things, you don't feel the same way. So marriages, here's a tip. Uh, You've got to find something that you both love. It might be hiking or TV or it might be a new hobby, a sport or something like that. Um, Whatever it is, uh, friendship uh, does not exist without a common love. So think about fixing your marriage today. This, this is mind-blowing. What if it is so simple that all you have to do in order to take your relationship out of the rut that it's in and out of the challenges that you're facing now is discover something that you actually both love doing? And if you did that, could change the trajectory of your marriage. Now listen, when you have kids, you have a common love but kids can also be the dysfunction of your marriage because as kids grow up, like you put so much energy and attention and so much focus on them, you both as a couple have a common love to see that your kids grow up and and, and are healthy and are loved and, and all that great stuff, but then your kids graduate and then they move on and then what does your marriage have? You have nothing. And now again, you think, oh, we fell out of love. This isn't the right person. No, you just have done a poor job rediscovering things that you love doing that could draw you together. I was talking to a young girl um, this, uh, a couple weeks ago and she had posted a picture of this uh, guy on her Instagram and she was just going on about you know, how great he was. He, he helped her do this and helped her. He was, he was doing so much on this day and she was just saying thank you to him. And of course, what I'm saying is, yeah, he ain't doing that for nothing. Like he, he, he wants to be more than a friend, right? And, um, and, and, and so I, I, I shared that. I was like, hey, that sounds like a boyfriend or somebody that wants to be a boyfriend. And she said, no, 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 no. He doesn't love Jesus. And I don't date guys that don't love Jesus. And I was like, go girl, that's right. That is right. You know why college single folks, um, you, don't, you, don't, you don't wanna make that decision because if you do, now all of a sudden you start off the relationship uh, with not a common love for Jesus. And if there's not a common love for Jesus, you'll have the common problems that every worldly marriage has that ends in divorce. So you've gotta choose your friends carefully, college students and singles, because one day you will wind up marrying a friend, right? So we've gotta be consistently aware of that issue and how it impacts us on every level. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. All right, let's keep going here. Proverbs 13 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So you, you walk with the wise and, and you will become wise. You see, your friendships are shaping you today, whether you realize it or not. Who you're working with and spending time with, they are shaping who you are. Uh, when our kids were little, um, you know, dad is the hero, mom makes everything better, and whatever we say, our kids believe, whatever we ask them to do, they did, right? That was a short window, amen? <laughs> 
they get older. And as they get older, then that window starts to, to you know, kind of close a little bit. And that's natural for kids, right? That's just part of growing up. And so it's essential that when my voice isn't as influential, I have positioned them in environments where that voice is still there. It's the same voice that, that I would use. It's the same words that I would say, but it's not coming from dad, it's coming from somebody else. And so if that godly leader is there, and if I can help them get into environments where there are other like-minded students, other like-minded kids, now all of a sudden they're hearing all of the same things, right? from me, from their adult leader, from, from their friends. We've created this healthy environment that breathes life into them. So this is why kids ministry and student ministry is so important for your kids. It's why they need to experience that small group at a young age. Like right now, kids are next door with godly leaders who are pouring into them the love of Jesus and they're meeting other friends that are you know, gonna be maybe lifelong friends of your kids. And, and, and all this like-mindedness and the common love is Jesus, right? And we're, we're, we're influencing in this direction. And this is a beautiful thing. And that helps our kids walk with wisdom. Why? Because we've surrounded them with wise people. Parents, you've got to feel empowered to know that that's part of your role is to, is to move your kids into those environments and to be okay when they complain and argue and fuss and fight about it. You know, there are certain, you know, uh, instances in our parenting life where maybe our, one of our kids wanted to hang out or spend time with somebody and we were just like, eh, I don't know. And that, yeah, you know, I love them. I, in the name of Jesus, love them. I don't know that I want my little girl in that environment, right? And so I might say, honey, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. You know, as, as, you know, as hard as that is. And, and, you know, my kids freaked out, you know, when that stuff happened and, and they called me, though, you're the worst parent in the world. You know, have anybody ever heard that? Like that happens and moms, you gotta be ready for that when, they're ki when they become teenagers. And, and you can just say, if your kids ever say that to you, just say, nah, -uh, Pastor Trent is. Like he already told me he's the worst. So I'm at least not as bad as him. You can use that, I don't care. But as a parent, that's part of our role right, to, to, to steer them in that direction. And so let's keep going here. <clears throat> Proverbs 18 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice the word friend is singular, it's not plural. So the idea there is, okay, uh, you're not necessarily gonna have a multitude of these close friends that are super reliable, right? So here, here's, here's the point. Friends commit to the friendship, right? Friends who are true friends are gonna actually commit to the friendship. So if you wanna develop a friendship that sticks closer to a brother, you've gotta be willing to make a commitment to actually develop that friendship. They don't just happen overnight. You know, there's time in that. There's the invitations to dinner and there's invitations to hang out and, and there's time, you know, where you're talking about, you know, spiritual things and there's time where you're just, you know, just kicking it, just, just hanging out, right? So there's an, an investment of time there that it's gonna require for you to develop that. Now, uh, when your kids were, were young, I, I guess this is way back in the day, like I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine kids doing it today, but if you were gonna be in a club and you were a boy, Back in the day, you might become blood brothers, right? You cut your thumb and like 
blood brothers, right? That, you know, man, that, you're in the group. We're gonna, we're making a commitment to be friends for life, right? Uh, or maybe, maybe it kind of, that was too gross. And so you just kind of, you just kind of spit in your hand and you, you know, put her there and we shook on the spit in the hand. You know, ugh, gross, right? But that kind of solidified the relationship, right? I don't know what kids are gonna do post Corona. It's like, I'll just send you in a thumbs up emoji. That's all we got. Like we can't do anything uh, as, as gross as that anymore. But uh, he, he says, look, the, the, the point here is when we get to that point of solidifying this friendship, we're actually making the commitment. He's saying that quantity is not as important as quality. So it's not that you know, we should expect to have this multitude of all these reliable friends in our life. No. It's probably gonna be fewer. Probably it's the quality that we need to focus on uh, as opposed to uh, the, the quantity. Unreliable friends lead to ruin. So commit to building reliable friendships. He says there's another point here. The, the other idea is that a friend can be closer than a family member. He says that you know, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So your family is loyal because there's history there, there's blood there, but they may not necessarily wanna hang out with you, <laughs> right? Let me put it the other way. You have some family members that you may not wanna hang out with, right? I mean, you're, 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 you're family. And so there's that bond there, there's that love there because there's history. But a friend can actually, according to scripture, be better than a brother or a sister. Your family didn't choose you, but a friend does choose you. Huh? Think about that. That's why the Bible teaches us that there are, are uh, you know, the special bond with friendships. There can be a, a, a need, there is a need there to have a close friend. A friend brings something into your life that a, a spouse cannot bring and, and even a family member cannot bring. That's pretty powerful. So an unreliable friend is gonna bring ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother that can be even more powerful than a family member. Now, Proverbs 17 continues. He says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So if you're taking notes, when you're committed, you do take care of your friends. So, so you, there's this idea that you, your friends, and so when they go through something, when there's an issue, when there's something happening, you will care for those friends. When he says a friend loves them at all times, what he's saying is all kinds of times. So in good times and in bad times, in quarantine times, in good seasons, in bad seasons, and that kind of friendship takes a commitment to actually build up that relationship. And so uh, what, do you, uh, what you do is you, you take care of your friend in a time of need, and that really solidifies the friendship. So back to the point of the blood brothers and the handshakes with the spit. How do you know if your relationship with another dude is like, like we've committed to be friends? You know, like do you, at small group and no, you can't do that. Um, what did you do when you were dating? Like when you first started dating, remember? Remember back in the day, like back when my, you know, my dad's generations, like they called it going steady, right? I don't know what that means, but like, we're not, we're not low, we're not high, we're just steady, we're going steady. Okay, well, I can go with that, right? In my day in middle school, it was, we're going together, right? Are you guys going together? Not yet, we're thinking about it. We may go, we, we, may, we may be going together soon, 
right? And then you make the, you make the, you make the ask as a, as a middle schooler, right? You're like, you want to go with me? It's like a big deal. And they're like, yeah, I'll go with you. Like, boom, solidified. That's the real deal, right? You know, and your parents are like, well, where are you guys going, right? <laughs> That's always the joke. Well, I don't know. We're not going anywhere. We can't go anywhere. We're in quarantine for crying out loud. I can't get out of the house. We can't go anywhere. I don't know what young people call it today. I don't, I don't even know. I, I don't even want to ask because it's probably some initial, you know, everything's initial today. You know, I'm, I'm LOLing, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever, OMG and whatever all that is, you know, it's probably like, are you guys like official, whatever? Dad, we're GT. What, what, what is GT? We're going together. I don't know what this is going to be. <laughs> but in a dating relationship, there's kind of that solidifying like moment where you make it official. And so like, if you were a dude today, you don't want to Instagram message or call your buddy and be like, hey, I think we need to make this official. That will end the relationship. <laughs> What you do that kind of solidifies that is you do this. So when you're committed, you're there. When you're committed, you care for that friend. So when they're going through the issue, when there's a high, you're celebrating with them. You're not jealous. When there's a low, you're comforting with them, right? And that's how you solidify. That's how you know who your friends are. In fact, you want to know a painful way to discover who your friends are? Go through a really difficult season in your life. And then you'll know who they are and you'll know who they aren't, right? So the point is that when you are committed, you're going to care about each other and it's going to show. And it, it shows with you reaching out to that friend and caring for them and they return that care. But listen, the relationship isn't built on that care. It's not built on that care. It's an aspect of the relationship. Because again, we go back to the motivation. If your only motivation to be a friend with somebody is the care that you expect from them, it will not be a good friendship. So the expectation is not that, oh, I'm gonna get all this care. The expectation is, oh, we gotta come and love. I wanna be friends. I want us to grow and hang. And, and this is good. This is great, connect, this is great fellowship. And then some of the benefits and some of the actions is this care in return. Let's keep going here in Proverbs 17. He says, he who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So the point is when you are committed, you forgive friends, right? And so when you cover over an offense, that's you saying, Ah, he was having a bad day. She was having a rough day. She didn't mean that. I'm probably reading into that. That's probably my insecurity. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna cover over that offense. I'm going to forgive. If I don't, and I continue to repeat this matter, it's gonna separate us. If I harbor bitterness and I don't forgive, I will harbor that in my heart. Anger will develop. I will push that friend away, right? So real friends are forgiving friends. They deal with mistakes and they don't kick you when you're actually down. And so if you wanna know who your friends are again, all you have to do is simply make a mistake. Make a mistake in your life and see how the people around you, your so-called friends, actually treat you. And when you do that, then you begin to see, okay, here are my real ones, here are my, and you might come to the realization that, man, I just don't have any. Or you might come to the realization that I've just not been a good one. Because while we desire this for us, we actually, in order to be a friend, you have to, you have to, in order to have a good friend, you actually have to be a friend. And so when it comes to forgiveness, it's probably one of the most vital and important aspects of friendship, isn't it? 
I mean, it's the most important way of actually following Jesus is, is learning to forgive other people. You cannot have friends. You cannot have a good marriage. You cannot have good relationships unless you are willing to forgive people and release that bitterness. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he did just that for you, his friend. He allowed you to be friends with him because he took your sin, he took my sin, friends that hated him and friends that were running from him and friends that didn't want anything to do with him and he died for us and he paid for our sin. He paid that price so that you could be friends with God. The Bible calls us a friend of God. Like he, he adopts us into his family through the sacrifice and through the forgiveness that is given to us through the blood of Jesus. And so maybe for you, step one to be a good friend is give your life to Jesus. Like, and, and faith is an individual decision. And so you've got to make that decision to trust and follow Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're watching online. You've never done that. You can do it today. If you need help with that, if you're here, just scan the barcode in front of you at, on the seat back. If you're at home, you can text the number that's coming up on your screen at home and someone will contact you. If you're here and you want to talk to someone today, you can go to the care and prayer room and someone will help you make that decision. And for all of us, as we're kind of focused in on friends, we're seeing that small group season is beginning, right? So we're getting ready to kick off all of our small groups. If you're not in a small group, I encourage you to get into one. You can stop by the Connect Center where there are small group leaders that are there. They'll answer questions. They'll, they'll, they'll talk through it uh, and, and what it looks like. We've got small groups all over Blount County and Knoxville. You can choose one that fits your schedule. And, and listen, if you're watching from home, you can just simply go to our website, go to our groups page, lots of information there that'll get you pointed in the right direction. I hope you'll come back next week as we continue to deal with, man, what does friendship look like in our life? And really the dynamics, the art of godly friendship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you would take this truth and, and just let it resonate within our heart. Lord, for those that have been hurt by friends, for those that just simply don't have close friends but desire that, help us to go about it in the right way, in the, in the wise way, and that we would lean into, first and foremost, our relationship with you, trusting that you will bring into our path those people that we can develop that friendship with, that will encourage and bless and grow, and we can be that blessing and means of growth in their life as well. Father, we love you. We praise you. We gather here today for a common love to worship you and to grow as disciples. So bless us today, God, as we seek you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.